Some of you guys who've been around for a few years, Theismans will be well acquainted with this fact. I love Gideon's story. Um, I mean, how can you not love that Gideon and his 300 guys go face an enemy outnumbered 450 to 1? I mean, how can you not, how can you not love that story? Um, as some of you may remember, there was a really old movie now, I guess it's been 20 plus years, a uh, movie called Braveheart. And at the end of the movie, um, his, girl, his woman comes to him and is lamenting that he is about to die. And Braveheart says, well, every man dies. How does it go? You probably know some of you. But not every man really lives. And so I've always loved that line. I never forgot that line. And I always think about Gideon and the boys um, when I think of that line because they lived huge, right? They believed their God. They obeyed their God. They lived huge and they watched God do a miraculous thing. They decided that their God was God enough to trust and obey. While I love that story, I love that part of the story where they actually go down and, and face the enemy and God does a miraculous thing. I love that part of the story, but it's not my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is when God comes to Gideon. This is what we see Him do on the pages of Scripture again and again and again. He simply comes to somebody. He simply shows up one day. Right? We know Gideon is busy doing his farming thing and God shows up and He comes and sits under an oak tree and He calls Gideon out. You remember? You remember the story? He comes to tell Gideon who Gideon is supposed to be. Now, some of you have had this conversation with God, right? <laughs> God comes and reminds His people who they are, and He reminds them how they're supposed to live. He reminds them who they're supposed to be. You are my son. You are my daughter. You don't live like the world. Amen? And uh, he comes to Gideon and brings the word and he calls him out. From the text, as I said, it appears that Gideon is a farmer. It's a good thing. It's a fine profession, but God's going to blow up his resume. Some of you have experienced this. God will always blow up your resume if you're walking with Jesus. He will always blow up your resume. God says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior! Of course, Gideon doesn't have any clue what this means. He's a farmer, as best we can tell. God says, go deliver Israel from the enemy. Have I not sent you? God says, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat them. This is my favorite part of the story where God turns Gideon's life upside down and Gideon says yes. <laughs> and we, know, we know there's a struggle there. If we know the story, we know that Gideon struggles a bit with that. But God, God comes and He invites Gideon into the Hall of Fame of Faith. This is what He's doing in your life as well. Uh, God always invites His people deeper into faith. It's what Jesus said to His disciples in John 8.32. Some of you already know this before I finish it. If you abide in My Word, then you are truly Mine and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. After Gideon has that God encounter, Gideon's free. He's free to take 300 guys and outnumbered 450 to 1 
and go face the enemy. Now that's what I call freedom. Amen? That's big freedom, right? That's huge license. I mean, if God doesn't show up, they're slaughtered, right? They are slaughtered. So Gideon knows the truth. The God of Israel is God. He knows the truth. He's free to obey God with glad, reckless joy. He knows the truth. He doesn't have to ever be afraid of anything again. So I'm going to ask you, what are you afraid of? And then I'm going to remind you that your God is God. You need not be afraid. He is sufficient in every circumstance. It's what David is saying in Psalm 16. Essentially, David is saying, because my God really is God, I can live huge in obedience to Him. And because my God really is God, I can die well. I do not fear death. My God reigns over death. My God's defeated death. I want you to see this in this psalm. David has the confidence, you know, to live a huge life of faith. Not because he's so special, <laughs> but because God is. And David is freed up, just like every true maturing believer is freed up to not come to their grave and never have truly lived. You understand what I'm saying? Not to come to the day of your death and you've never truly lived. You've never truly walked with Jesus. You've never risked anything for the Gospel. You just live like the world. We're free. We don't have to live like the world. We don't have to live in that small box. The world says you need to live in this box. It's prudent to live in this box. We don't have to. We're Christians. We don't have to. We're sons and daughters of the King. We don't have to. We know Jesus Christ. We don't have to live in the box. And David is expressing his absolute, total, utter, complete confidence that God is his refuge in life and God is his refuge in death. Don't you love it? <laughs> I love this psalm, man. After I preached last week, it was strong. I listened to it, you know, and I critiqued myself on several things, but as I always do, but it was a strong message. But I just felt like this week we needed to be encouraged, you know. We need to be encouraged. And I just wanted to share my thoughts on Psalm 16. There is, if you, if you will, you know, partner up with David on this, if you'll see God as David sees God, there's tremendous freedom here. There's tremendous power here. There's tremendous joy and gladness here. There's tremendous courage here. You guys know how I love Daniel 11.32. It pops up about every, I don't know, sixth or seventh sermon. The people that do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. It's what David's talking about in Psalm 16. He's absolutely free to live big and die well. In knowing God, there's inexhaustible strength to live big and die well. In knowing God, there is omnipotent joy to live big and die well. So I'm challenging you as your pastor. <laughs> you don't have to conform. In fact, God has set you free. God has set you free to be a disciple. And that's what He expects for all of us to be for the few moments we have on this planet. If we really know David's God, 
we will be progressively giving ourselves away to Him. Let me ask you, is that, is that process going on in your life? You know, Christianity is never stagnant for the born-again man or woman. It can't be stagnant. If it's stagnant, something is desperately wrong in, you, in what, you, what you call your Christianity. Something is desperately wrong. God is always calling His people to a deeper place. If we really know David's God, we know we can live as big as we dare. We can really believe Him and we can really obey Him. And we will never come to the end of our lives without having truly lived and we will not come to the end of our lives without being ready to die. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Amen? I actually believe that. I don't, I, I don't just believe it. I love it. I'm actually about halfway ready to go. You know? As Paul says, I'm hard-pressed, man. <laughs> I'm hard-pressed. It'd be very much better to be with Jesus. But if it's profitable for me to be here, if it's profitable for the things of God, for the, for the kingdom of God, for the, the gospel of Christ, if it's profitable for me to be here, I'll be here. It's all in the Lord's hands. It's in the providential hands of, of God. Verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in Thee. I said to the Lord, Thou art my God. I have no good besides Thee. God, preserve me. Looked up the Hebrew word here. It simply means protect me. Keep me safe. And as you heard me pray, there's this connotation that God is our watchman. God is our guard. Don't you love it? God's your guard. God is. And if something hard's come into your life, it didn't catch the watchman unawares. The watchman knows all about it. And the watchman's going to change you in it. You know, let's not accuse God when the hard thing comes. You know, we're not supposed to accuse God when the hard thing comes. We're supposed to be ready when the hard thing comes. He tells us in the Bible it's coming. He tells us in 1 Peter, it's necessary that your faith be tested. This is what God says clearly. He's our watchman. He's our guard. El Shaddai is our watchman. Almighty, omnipotent God is our God. We can do the valiant warrior thing, right? You can do it. You can do it in your home and in your school and in your office and in your neighborhood, you can be God's valiant warrior. You can make Jesus famous at the university. You can do it. You're a valiant warrior. You say, no, Jim, I'm just a simple this, I'm a simple that. No, you belong to God. Well, we're going to get to it in a minute. You belong to God. God's at work in your life. I'm going to hold off. We'll get to it in just a minute. As I was thinking about this text... God is our watchman. I, my mind went to Exodus 15, 3, verses 3 and verse 6. The Lord, you know what? The Lord is a warrior. Don't you love it? <laughs> our God is a warrior. The Jews saying, Your right hand, O Lord, it's majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, it shatters the enemy. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You don't need to be afraid if you belong to Jesus. David said it in Psalm 24, 8. 
Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And you remember what the prophet Zephaniah said. Chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord your God is, your, is in your midst. He's a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. God is your watchman. God is your guard. Beloved, <laughs> you're free. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I'm not saying we don't struggle. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't grieve. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't experience sorrow. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't weep and cry. I'm not saying that. We do all those things. But we will have victory. Ultimate victory in Christ. David says, God is my refuge. Meaning, He is my hope. He is my safety. He is my shelter. He is my protection. If you read the Psalms, particularly the ones that David writes, you realize that David just never gets over this. Psalm 3.3, The Lord is my shield. He is a shield about me. Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, in whom I take refuge. Psalm 27.5, In the day of trouble, He will conceal me in His tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Psalm 32.7, God is my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 61.3-4, For Thou hast been a refuge to me, a, a tower of strength against mine enemies. Let me take refuge in the shelter of Thy wings. Psalm 71.3, God is a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. Don't you love it, beloved? God is our defense. He's our deliverer. He's our fortress. He's our strength. He's our shield. God is always poised to release His divine power in the care of His people. We don't need to be wringing our hands. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to indulge the anxiety that naturally wells up in, in our flesh. It naturally wells up. It wells up in our flesh. But we preach to ourselves, right? Isn't that what the Christian does? We, we preach to ourselves. My God is God. My God is great. He is my refuge. I'll, I'll, I'll not entertain this anxiety. I'll not do it. I am as our watchman. If you know God as your watchman, you will not come to the grave without having truly lived and without having discovered who you are in Christ. Without having discovered what that valiant warrior thing looks like in your life. <laughs> what that resume blow-up thing looks like in your life when God comes to you and He says something that's not on your resume. Some of you have had this experience. I've had this experience. It's the most scary, fun thing I've ever done in my life is to tremble and go with God. It's full of awe and wonder and joy and a little bit of fear. <laughs> but there's a whole lot more of awe, wonder, and joy. And of course, God shows up and God keeps His promise. Verse 2, I said to the Lord, Thou art my Lord. I have no good besides Thee. David says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. As we know, sadly, 
many who profess Christ as Lord, it's merely a religious thing. It's just good dogma. It's just good liturgy. It's just good doctrine. Some religious professional told me I should do it, so I did it. It means nothing in my life. I don't follow Christ. I don't fear Christ. I don't exalt Christ. I don't love Christ. I don't obey Christ. Not really. I do some religious things, but but not really. It's just it's just words on my tongue, right? It's just talk. That's not what David's talking about. He's not talking about just talking. He's talking about this is my life. My life declares that Jesus is God. My life declares that He is Lord. My life does. It's not just in my mouth. It's in my hands. It's in my feet. It's in my life. Beloved, as a Christian, <laughs> you, you know, those around you, they, they're supposed to see that Jesus is Lord. You don't even have to tell them. It's good to tell them. But they have to see it authenticated in your life. That's what David's talking about. You are my Lord. I'll live like it. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anything in life and I'm not afraid of anything in death. My God reigns supreme in life and in death. The Lordship of Jesus is to be seen in our deeds. For David, it wasn't about religion. It was about, I love this God. You know, when you go read the, the story about him facing Goliath, it was just this raging love for God that drove him out there. God never told him to go fight Goliath. It was, hey man, who is this guy talking about my God? <laughs> He's this little kid. He's probably, what, 13? I don't know, 14? Who is this kid? Who's this giant? I'll go kill him. I'll go kill him. And they, just, they tried to dissuade him. You can't kill him, David. You're just a kid. My God will kill him. It doesn't matter if I'm a kid. It's not about me being a kid. It's about my God being God. You know, David understood this. He said, I'm going to live huge. My God's huge. I'll live huge. Right? And when the time comes, I'll die huge. With praise on my lips for this awesome God. This love affair the true Christian has with God, it's bigger and it's stronger than any risk we take in faith and any loss we may suffer. This love affair is bigger. It's bigger. At the end of verse 2, David says, all my good comes from God. My well-being is dependent upon God. I love how the psalmist says it over in Psalm 73, 28. The psalmist says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I couldn't help but think of Carrie Tittle in Little Rock, Arkansas. We talked about last week who lost her husband and two of her nine children in that EF4 tornado. I couldn't help but think of her. She's not only lost her husband and her two of her daughters, she lost everything. The only thing that was left of of her house was the concrete slab. That's all that's there. She's lost everything. She doesn't have anything. And I'm thinking to myself, the nearness of God is her good this week. The nearness of God is her good. That is her testimony, beloved. The nearness of God is her good in that hard place. 
Verse 3, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Regarding saints, God, you know, David's not talking about super duper Christians. That's not the point. The point is these are just people, these are just the people of God. The people who truly love God, they're the set apart ones, they're the holy ones, they're the sanctified ones. This is what he's talking about. And did you notice? This is what I started on earlier, but I restrained myself. I thought I'd wait till I get to the actual text. They are what does your Bible say? They are the majestic ones. Don't you love that? If you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit says, you're a majestic one. <laughs> I love that. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. beautiful. I, looked up the, I looked up the word, the Hebrew word here, and it connotes excellence and uh, splendor and, and, and being wonderful and being honorable and being noble and being mighty and being brave and being royal. We're in God's family. We've been adopted. We're in God's family. We are co-heirs. You know, next time you get pretty low, and I know we struggle with things, just remember, I'm a co-heir. I'm a co-heir! The, the word means to be of kings. We are of the king! We are of the king. These words describe Jesus Christ and they describe all who are in Jesus Christ. I love R.C. Sproul. He talks about the progression that, that God has taken, taken us from dust to glory. Amen? And in between there, we made ourselves the enemies of God, right? We did that. But God made us... He took us from being enemies to being sons and daughters. It's awesome what God has done in our life. It's right for us to remember that we are miserable sinners saved only by the sovereign work and grace of God. This will keep us humble. As my dear brother in Little Rock, every time I see him, he hugs me and says, you are a worm. That, that occurs two or three times in the Old Testament. Um, he says, Jim, you are a worm. And I love him. He loves me. And I say, I know, man. I know, but I'm saved by grace. You know, to remember that side of the, the ledger is good. It'll keep us humble. But it's also right for us to never forget that in Christ, we are partakers of the divine nature and we are more than conquerors, this will make us bold. Broken boldness is what uh, Martin Luther used to talk about. Broken boldness. That's what you're called to. Beloved, that's what we're called to in Christ. Magnificent ones. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And David says, I delight in them. And we know what this means. This is why we've had 76 nations through this church in 10 years. Because you come to Milan and you need to be with God's people. Right? You need to be with God's people. This is non-negotiable for the true Christian. i got to find the people of God. I need to be in fellowship with them. I need to love them. I need to serve them. I need to encourage them. Verse 4, The sorrow of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their libations of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. In contrast to the delight of being among God's people, David mentions the multiplied sorrows of those who have bartered for.
before a lesser God. Barter means to exchange. You guys know what Romans 1 says. It's what God says that mankind has done. We have exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for corruptible things. We have loved our stuff more than we have loved God. Romans 1 goes on to say we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It's what the prophet Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah chapter 2. God says, Be appalled, O heavens! Be shocked! Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and they're drinking from cisterns that can hold no water. He calls the whole created order to be appalled and be shocked. Right? Why would anyone in their right mind forsake the fountain of living water to drink from a sewer? Well, nobody in their right mind would do that. But we are infected with this insanity called sin. Of course, David is clearly talking about false religion here, but I think in our context it's worth saying that now, the same is true for all those who worship a pseudo-Jesus, the, the cartoon Jesus. We talked a lot about it um, Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. Many pseudo-churches have just created some cartoon Jesus. He's not the biblical Jesus. He's a cartoon Jesus um, that people are more comfortable with. They're more comfortable with this Jesus. The cartoon Jesus doesn't really say hard things. He is amiable. You know? And he doesn't. He never actually says, the, the cartoon Jesus never actually says, You follow me. He just says, Hey, if you want to hang out with me on Sunday morning, it's okay. Come on down, hang out with me. It's cool. I'll, I'll be happy with that. No, the biblical Jesus says, Follow me. That's what the biblical Jesus says. So those who have bartered for this user-friendly pseudo-Jesus will have their sorrows not only multiplied in this life, but for all eternity in hell. Verse 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou dost support my lot. I noticed two of our songs had the word portion in it. It's a great, great word. This verse tells us how farmers become valiant warriors and how... For instance, someone like Job can face gut-wrenching loss and worship God. As, uh, as I read this, I thought back again to, to Carrie Tittle, um, who's in our home church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I saw someone post on the church uh, Facebook page this week, and I loved it. It said, a small God, and if you were here last week, you know we don't have a small God. You know that our God holds the whirlwind in His hand. But the post said, a small God is no good in a big storm. And if you've gone through a big storm with God, you know that's true. You don't want some small, affable, effeminate, frustrated, impotent God. You want the God who holds the whirlwind in His hand. That's the God you want in the big storm. That's the God the Christians know and love. 
whether it's a day of great blessing or great trial, a day of abundance or loss, a day of joy or pain, a day of jubilation or sorrow, a day of gladness or grief, our God is big enough for every circumstance. This is why we're free. This is why we're free. We're free to live our faith huge because our God's God in the circumstance. We're free to worship our God at the funeral when we bury our husband and we bury our daughters. We're free through our tears to worship this great God. As we talked about last week, God gives, God takes. He's God, you're not. Worship. Worship when it hurts. This is what true Christians do. The Lord is our portion, our inheritance, our cup, our support. As I often say, Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give and He's better than anything death can take. And this is how the true believer lives. Huge in life, huge in death. <laughs> huge in life, huge in death. What is the believer's reward? You guys know, I ask you about every, I don't know, seventh or eighth sermon. What is the believer's reward? Temporal health, wealth, and prosperity. Right? Nothing so boring as that. What is the believer's reward? God. God is our reward. It's what God said to Abraham, Genesis 15.1. I am your exceeding great reward. God is our inheritance. This is not only true on the mountaintop, it's possibly even more true in the valley of the shadow. David says, God, you support my lot. In other words, God, you hold me. God, you uphold me. God, you hold me every day of my life and you will hold me in death. Amen? Praise God. Nothing to fear. You really have nothing to fear. Whatever your fear is, I'm going to challenge you to leave it here tonight. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're trembling before God, and, and, and you know what He's calling you to do, and it's you haven't done it yet. If you're in that situation, I'm gonna challenge you. As soon as you go out that door, you you set your foot on the path to do what God's called you to do. You do it. You just go do it. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how risky it is, because your God is God in the circumstance. David is essentially saying. Hear what he says in Psalm 31, 14, and 15. We talked about it last week. We sang about it last week. But as for me, I trust You, O Lord. I say You are my God. My times are in Your hands. Right? At the mortuary? In the graveyard? At the gravesite? My God reigns. We talked a lot about it last week. When the big storm comes, we have a big God. And let me just close my comments out here as David talks about, about God's support. You guys know this great verse. I just had to put it in here. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Yeah, farmers are valiant warriors and widows and grieving mothers worship. Verse 6 the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful. 
to me. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here. He says, you set me up with a house and a yard and then you made me your own. I love this. You know, and David's saying, you've provided for me, whether it's great or small, it doesn't matter. That's God's choice. Whether I'm rich in temporal things or poor in temporal things, it doesn't really matter. I'm infinitely rich in Christ, right? David says, you've given me all I need for this life. All that I have is from you, is what he's saying. But he's saying even more importantly, you have come for me. I am your heir. I belong to you. You've redeemed me. The enemy of God. You've redeemed me. Some of you might say, well, David was a rich man in a material sense, so it's easy for him to talk like this. But if you actually go read Psalm 19, you understand the heartbeat of David. David says, more, des more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold is my God and His Word. It wasn't about health, wealth, and prosperity. It was about the beauty and desirability of His God. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. David says, I will praise and adore the God who has imparted God words and God truths and God ways to me. Psalm 119, 102-103, God Himself is my teacher, the psalmist says. Isn't that true? God is our teacher. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For thy precepts I get understanding. And I... And here's, my, here's my, my paraphrase. And I can live huge. And I can die well. And then Psalm 119.32, the psalmist writes, I shall run... I love this. this. This verse means a lot to me personally. I shall run the way of His commandments, for He will enlarge my heart. You know, I think a lot of Christians... A lot of professed Christians live small because they're not in the Word and their heart is still small. God says, I'll enlarge your heart. I'll blow up. I'm not only going to blow up your resume, I'll blow up your heart. Right? I'll blow up your heart. He will enlarge your heart, beloved, that you might live huge and die well. We can do big faith. We can do big pain because our God is... God. Verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be, someone tell me, shaken. I cannot be shaken because I stand on the rock. His name is Jesus Christ. David says, I have confidence in life. I have confidence in death. My God is El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Jireh. He does whatever He pleases. No one can hold back the outstretched arm of God. No one can stay His hand. I can live huge. I can die well, is what David is saying. And David says, I make it my business to look at God. What does he say? He says, well, if I have time on Sunday, I'll go look at God. If it's convenient for me, I'll do it. If I can squeeze it into my schedule Monday through Saturday, I'll look at God. No, he says I continually look at God. This is where freedom comes from. This is where strength comes from. This is where power comes from. This is where, this is where uh, joy and gladness come from. By looking at God and being in awe and full of wonder. Yeah, this is a hard circumstance. But my God is so 
He says, David says, I'm always looking at God. Let me ask you, is that what you do every day? Are you looking at God? What does God say? Do a, hurry up and do a bunch of stuff and maybe you'll get to know me. What does he say? Be still and what? How many of you are being still and looking at God every day? You can't, you can't be a valiant warrior. <laughs> if you don't look at God and you, you, can't, you can't go to the funeral and really worship God if you're not looking at God. If you're only looking at your hurt, yes, you have hurt. Yes, you have loss. Yes, you have pain. Yes, you can't stop crying. But my God is God. My God is my confidence in life. He's my confidence in death. He could have written Romans 8.31, If God is for me, who can be against me? David says, because I continually look at God, whether it's a, a, a difficult day or, or a day of great blessing, verse 9, therefore, because I look at God, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase again. I am happy from the inside out. Don't you love it? Because I'm looking at God, I'm happy from the inside out. It's not about outside in. You know, most people live on, on such a superficial level. Well, it's about what happened to me today. No, it's not, really. My God's God. I'm happy from the inside out. This is what's going on in the maturing Christian's life. It's the fruit of looking at God. It's what Paul's talking about to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, We may be sorrowful, but we are always, someone tell me, rejoicing, he says, we may have nothing, but we possess all things, right? It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. It's about that fellowship. It's about that love affair, right? It's about that love affair. Let me ask you, how's the love affair? That's the heart and soul of Christianity. It's why rejoice always is not a stupid thing. <laughs> it's why it's not an asinine thing. It's why it's not an impertinent, impertinent thing to say at the funeral. Because even though we weep, we rejoice. Because our God, as I said earlier, has victory over death. David says, I'm secure enough to live my faith huge. Let me ask you. Are you? David says, I'm secure when death comes for me. I love this text. Verse 10. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Made me think of that great text, 1 Corinthians 15, 53 and 54. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on the immortal. For death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting. Uh, the perishable must put on the imperishable. The, mor the mortal must put on the immortal. It cannot not happen. You're in God's family. I love that. And of course, many of you know that this very verse is applied to Jesus. Peter uses it in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 and Paul uses it in Acts 13. 
So Jesus Christ, nor David, nor any one of the set-apart ones of God will be abandoned in the grave. We will not be abandoned in the grave. And Sheol is just the grave. It's, it's the underworld. It's the place of the dead. We will not be abandoned there. You know, really for the Christian, just dying is just stepping through a door. That's all it is. It's stepping through a door. It's going to be as, as simple as walking through a door. Right? Walking through a door. I love how Paul says it. To be absent the body is to be at home with God. If we've left this body, you know, I know there's a lot of false teaching. We don't go to some purgatory. If we're Christian, we, that, that, that's, that's just fairy tales. That's made up. That doesn't mean anything. You can't find it in the Bible. We don't go there. We go to Jesus. We go to Jesus. We walk through that door. We leave this, this, this pain of, uh, pardon me, this world of pain and difficulty and heartache and heartbreak and, and uh, sin and tragedy and we step into paradise with our Creator and our Redeemer. Verse 11, Thou will make known to me the path of life. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. In Thy right hand there are pleasures. Forever. I don't often quote Peter Pan. Some of you have heard me quote Peter Pan before. Does anyone want to share with me what I... They only, I only have one quote from Peter Pan. Does anybody know what it is? Nobody knows what it is. Well, I thought some of you might remember because I say it every once in a while. I don't often quote him, but he nailed it at least as it relates to born-again Christians. Peter Pan said, to die will be an awfully big adventure. Amen? This is what David is saying, man. God is my refuge in death! It's what David is saying in Psalm 16. See, he says, with God, this life is an adventure as I live it huge by faith in my Lord. But my death will be an even bigger one. My death will be an even bigger adventure because my God, with my God, is fullness of joy and pleasures Forever. This, in my view, is maybe the. This is if you had, if you said Jim, you had to pick out one verse about heaven. This would be it. One verse in the whole Bible. It would be this verse. Because it's about God, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, did you notice it's in the? It's, it all has to do with proximity to God. It's in the presence of God, and 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 uh, the uh, the pleasures are in His right hand. It's in. It's it's all about God. Yes, there'll be twenty thousand derivative joys in heaven but they all flow out of the bounty of God. Amen? Heaven is heaven because God is there. If God's not there, I don't care how good it is, it's not heaven. It's not. But our God will be there. Jesus gives us some insight in chapter 15. When he, you know, he doesn't, he's not just talking about maximum human joy. This is not what God's talking about. Some of you know where I'm going with this. He's not, he doesn't say you're going to have maximum human joy. He says you're going to have my joy. This is what Jesus says in John 15. You're going to have my joy. It's going to be in you. <laughs> How big is the joy of God? It's infinite. Right? I love that. Many biblical scholars believe David writes Psalm 16 in the face of great danger or trial. But because he knows his God is God, he has death-defying confidence to live boldly and he has eternity-embracing confidence to die boldly. The people... 
that do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Whether great blessing or great trial, abundance or loss, joy or pain, jubilation or sorrow, gladness or grief, our God is with us and our God is for us. Sadly, it's true, every man dies. Not every man really lives. But every true Christian really lives. And then they die and then they really start to live. Then the true adventure, the eternal adventure, the limitless adventure, the boundless adventure with God begins. I'm going to close with Isaiah 43, 1-3. But now says the Lord your Creator, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are Mine, God says. Seriously? And you're afraid of something in this world? Don't you like He says, you are Mine. There's actually an exclamation point there. You are Mine! Then God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. My challenge to you, beloved, go live that. God has given you license to live huge and die well. That's what this is about. Just yeah, go out that door. Go live huge. and You'll be ready to die well. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this great text. We thank You for the confidence that You give us because who You are and the promises You've made to us. Lord, I pray that we would not listen to the world in this regard, that we would not be intimidated, we would not be pushed in some small box of conformity, but that we would, we would recognize the freedom and license and liberty that we have in You. We can do... Our faith is big as we dare because You are God. And Lord, I thank You that not only can we live huge, we can die well. We will die well. We will be with You forever. Thank You for this text, Lord. Thank You for this exhortation. We give all praise, glory, and honor to Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a song.